This is CliffCentral.com. Which career is best career? <laughs> I thought we had established that already. <laughs> yeah, well, we tried to establish it, but what are we going to say, right? So uh, Louise has just been to – Louise is a friend of mine. She's just been to uh, South Korea. She went over there, and uh, she's got friends there, and she stayed with them. And they actually have links to North Korea, and she visited the demilitarized zone. So I suppose there's no one really who I know who could tell me more about the place than Louise. How are you? Oh, excellent. Thank you. Good. Just uh, lean forward a little bit there. All right. So, Louise, you went over to South Korea for how long were you there? About 10 days? A month. A month? Okay. Yeah. So, a whole month. You got to see a lot. A lot. Yeah. And South Korea, what's that like for a start? Because we all know about the big companies that are based there. You know, you've got Samsung and you've got LG and you've got Hyundai and all of these very successful companies. Seoul, the capital, big place. We've seen it in the Olympics a couple mm-hmm. of times. We we know that this is a very successful burgeoning place that often comes up with very innovative technology. You've got a very smart population. Um, and then you've got this demilitarized zone which is empty. No one can go there because you get shot. And then on the other side of the demilitarized zone is North Korea, which couldn't be more different. Yeah. So what's, which part did you want to hear first? Let's start with South. Well, South, um, I mean, it's truly an amazing place. Seoul is kind of like New York. It's mm. really, you were talking about hygiene. It's one of the cleanest places. They seriously have the best toilets I have ever come across. How, what kind? Just uh, this is this well. As you arrive in the yeah, this was what I was most excited about. I even sent pictures. Yes. <laughs> as you arrive in the airport, you know these ones that with the electric thing, but the heating so the and heat the built-in bidet, and they put the little seat cover uh-huh. on. No, not a seat cover. You can turn it on. Oh and right. Turn up the heat to whatever heat you want. Uh huh. So anyway, and spotlessly clean. Yeah. Wherever I went, wherever I went, I, you know, I, I was waiting to find some dirty, sh- dirty messy, scrubby toilet, yeah. which you would expect never. Anyway. <laughs> so they've got a bit of an obsession with hygiene, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's probably why they all live so long in South Korea. All right. And Seoul, you say, is this very cosmopolitan, very big city. Um, but are there rural places that you saw in South Korea too? Well, I spent most of my time on Jeju Island. Which is an island in the south. It's kind of like the Hawaii of Korea. Uh-huh. It's a three-hour boat ride from the mainland, and it's gorgeous. It's a volcanic island, absolutely gorgeous. And um, what's the vegetation like? More like green, like Natal. Like Natal, exactly like Natal. In fact, I was having flashbacks. I kept thinking, mm-hmm. I'm in Gamshlanga. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, you stayed with a bunch of people who have family in North Korea, right? Um, it, so here's the story. It's, it's actually a really interesting story. They, um, the Pack, Eugene Pack, his grandfather was at the time of the split, and everybody wanted unification. Nobody wanted the country split. Mm-hmm. Um, so his grandfather was big in the re- he's from South Korea, big capitalist. He'd made mm-hmm. a huge amount of money. He was big on the reunification and he spent a lot of time in North Korea. Okay. He felt that the only hope for unification was coming from the North, coming from Kim, um, Kim Il-sun, who, who was really um, a great leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really was. The way it's gone since then, you know, is questionable, but 
he was the only one who could divide the country. You know, if you think about the history of that country, mm. they've had a horrible history, horrible. This little peninsula stuck off China. Everybody's been hammering it. Japan owned it for a while. China 90, owned it for a while. 40 years. Yeah. Japan was, uh, China was constantly trying to get control, but had it like a vassal state. 1910, Japan took over. They mm. wanted a foothold on the mainland. And, um, and you know, Japan rule was harsh. Yeah. They really try to crush the Korean culture. They try to make Japan the language. They even try to get them to take Japanese surnames. They had a hard time. They burnt down lots of stuff. The, the monarchy, the king died in that time, went, maybe murdered and never, you know, so they had a really hard time. It ended when Japan surrendered at the end of World War One, hmm. And... um so finally, Korea's free, and and then you have um, American military control coming in. Right. And so they're trying to get something back of the pieces of their country. Kim Il-sun emerges as a really strong person who's really, you know, fully Korean. What you have in the South was Japanese collaborators who had strong positions and right. who'd gained a lot of personal stuff. And the Americans backed that government, which the Koreans didn't like. Um, Remember, it was also in the midst of the Cold War. You had post-World War I, Stalin and, and Roosevelt, and then later on Truman. Yeah. And then uh, you also had this, this situation of Russia backing right. whoever was the candidate for the North. You had America backing the South. And then you had to divide Korea. It's the, the, the only compromise they could come to, instead of actually sitting down around the table and being reasonable about this, the only compromise they could work out was that they would actually cut the country in half. Yeah, which was… Families were split. Families were split. I mean, it was really awful. And um, so so their grandfather worked a lot in North Korea because he felt that there was just too much corruption and too much mess in South Korea which it really was. It's taken all these years for it to come to where it is. Um, and that says so much for the Korean spirit. Yes, I got such respect for that. Yeah, they've had, a, they've had a very tough time. But in the north then, it started to descend into totalitarianism very quickly. They started to control the way that people behaved. They implemented a very, very strict and rigid form yeah. of, of Stalinism, in fact, and then completely sealed the country off from everyone else. From everyone but you know this this is the korean spirit this is the korean spirit so they all along they've never been able to rely on a government or anybody else that's so family family's the big thing mm-hmm. in south korea all those big corporations you mentioned are family run they're mm. family dynasties right. and it goes to the son and then passed on well they've done exactly the same in korea in north korea but they've just done it for the whole country you know they've done what no other communist country has done so i'm not saying it's i, I you know I'm not saying it's the best way and we need to keep it. It really does need to come to an end. Hmm. But the fact that they've pulled it off says a lot for the Korean spirit and they you know they pulled what off? I mean what's the what's the success? What here? other communist country has maintained that kind of um control? Well isn't that because communism is the flaw? Yeah, but they've yeah, I mean communism. Okay, so I don't want to try and I don't want to get into defending this. Yeah, 
I mean, um, it, to me, it, you've got a, you've got two different countries here. If you look at the the picture, and I always think this is the best illustration for any kind of argument of this nature. You look at the the satellite photograph of Korea at night, and you see lights, and you you could see that the south of Korea, there's a straight line across that that demilitarized zone. Everything under the lights, is, under under that is lit. You could see it's a, it's an industrial first world country, and you look to the north, and there are tiny little. Dull areas it's with one or two lights in them. It's sad. The, the people there are, are, are living in, in great deprivation. I mean, there's not enough food. They're not able to sustain themselves. I think fully a third or two-thirds even of the entire population is in the military. And, yeah, clearly, and clearly you've got a complete crackpot for a leader now. Kim Jong-il took over from Kim Il-sung, the one that you spoke about. And he was the son. Now, the son of that one, Kim Jong-un, is in charge. And this guy is like a spoiled little fat kid who's been given everything he wanted. He thinks of the, yeah. the nukes as his playthings. And he's posturing against the United States, which is not a good idea when Donald Trump is in charge of the United States. Because anything could happen, right? Yeah. So you went at such a fraught time. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, this was planned a year ago. <laughs> so just weeks before I'm due to go, it all it all flares up. But um, that in itself was quite exciting, actually, being there at that time. And, and what really were Koreans, what were they saying? Well, you know, Koreans, they know Kim Jong-un. They know that he's flexing his muscles. So going back to the history, so then there was... So then the North, they say, invaded the South. Some people say it was actually a staged just to get rid of the North. So in that Korean War, which is called the Forgotten War, mm -hmm. and it truly has been forgotten, except in North Korea, yeah. they cannot forget it because America came in and bombed the hell out of them, Des seriously destroyed the country. More bombs were dropped on North Korea than in the entire Pacific region for the whole of World War I. More, World War II, World War II yeah. I mean, more than were dropped on Germany. Right. Like they bombed the hell out of the country. There was nothing left. They were proud of the fact that they did not leave a single city. Jesus. They ran out of targets. They yeah. eventually just had to dump the bombs in the, you know, on empty fields. Wow. Now with, so there's no, con no regard for people. There's no regard for civilian casualty. 20% of the population of North Korea was wiped out. Hmm. And this is from America, from across the world, who's this little nothing country posed no threat to America. You know, so that in their mind. But it's a proxy war because it, it was really the Soviet Union they were fighting. It was, it was communism. Mm. But let's get rid of North Korea right. without regard to. And, and it was, I just read such an interesting article actually in the Irish Times about this, mm -hmm. saying, you know, saying, Donald Trump says he's going to destroy North Korea. They forget that they've already done it. And North Korea hasn't forgotten that. So they know that they've got to protect themselves. Because you know what? There was never a peace treaty. There was never a peace treaty. There was an armistice. Hmm. So technically, they're still at war with South Korea and with the United States. And North Koreans uh, raised their children in that, that mode, in that vein of thinking. So you have generations three, four generations of, of North Koreans who are just sure of one thing, and that is that America is there to destroy the them. They want to take them out at the knees, and so they must always be suspicious of and must think the worst of Americans because otherwise they'll end up being victims again. And they say, if you ask North Koreans, they say the word American is never without bastard. 
the American oh. bastards. Yeah, because and they've got a museum there to the American war atrocities, mm. but they and they're all true, you know. It, it's all fact based, um, and and that's what we forget. What's the DMZ? Uh, well, what does the that look like? DMZ, the demilitarized zone. It's actually gorgeous. I have to tell you. So I, I really <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> From my perspective, I really wanted a visit, but it was the Korean Thanksgiving holiday, so it was closed on the two days, my last two days there when I was in Seoul. So I kind of gave up. Well, you know, I thought I'd go to the war museum in um, Seoul. But then we got friends who agreed to drive us. So it worked out way better. The tour takes you, you know, it's all very dramatic, and you you go to the joint security area. Um, with all the soldiers and the, you know, you see the, the, the South Korean soldiers in the taekwondo rock position, you know, yes. ready to pounce, or, you know, um, so the official tour takes you there, but we couldn't go there because that was all closed. And, um, but what, what we could go to was this wonderful theme park, well, peace park, they call it, right on the edge of the DMZ. Um, what does it look like? You know, it's 250 miles long, four kilometers wide, and it's fenced off on both sides. Demilitarized is a bit of a misnomer. It's the most heavily militarized zone in the world. You know, there are a million soldiers on both sides um, ready at all times. But nobody can go in there. It's a no man's land. So nature is thriving. They wanted to have it declared as a biosphere nature zone. So yeah. animals, plants, animals, it's all plants, just crazy, right? Gorgeous. You know, you look out. So where we where we were was um, there's a an observation platform with the binoculars, you know, the telescopes yeah. looking out on North Korea. Beautiful, peaceful, gentle, rolling hills. <clears throat> um, that was the image I wanted to have. You know, I know you can look on YouTube. There's so much about all this. You know, the the t- the intensity. I'm. You know, there's just such hope for reunification on both sides. Do you think so? Do you think it could ever happen with a kid like Kim Jong-un in no, charge? No, no, no. That, that regime has to come to an end. I think there's so no question. Should Donald just nuke them? No, because we, cause you're nuking. That's insane because you're nuking, you know, just so many people. Yeah. And Seoul is only at 50 kilometers from the border. So half of Seoul will get wiped out. You know. So there's actually, there's got to be a point of... A negotiated settlement here. It can't be an impasse forever. It can't. And history has a way of sorting things out. You know, H- things history, don't last forever. History almost looks like it stopped in North Korea. It has. Right? Yeah. They, they're still trapped in the 1950s. Yeah. And, I mean, that must be so sad for those people. They just don't know any better. And you, I've seen videos of people inside North Korea, and I've spoken to people who've been there. And it seems to me like it's a fascinating place because it is anachronistic. It's almost like Cuba was anachronistic to Americans before they got to visit there. The cars are all from the 1950s. You know, it doesn't feel like it's moved. Yeah. So I just want to go back to that family I spoke about with mm. their grandfather there. So he eventually died. Eventually it was shut off. He could never come back. But um, that family, because of his ties with North Korea, life got difficult for them. They eventually immigrated, ended up in Canada. So they became Canadian citizens. As Canadian citizens, they can go to North Korea. They couldn't as South, South Koreans. Wow. So South Koreans can't visit North Korea at all? Not at all. No, there's nothing that moves across that border. So, so families are still split? Totally. 
totally. And in fact, at the Thanksgiving holiday, you, you're supposed to go back to your home villages and offer it to the ancestors and your families. So there's a shrine looking over North Korea at this place where I was, where people come and offer whatever it is to their families in North Korea, which they're never going to see again. So it, it really is sad. It's really at a human level. At a human level, it's really sad. But um, Ivana Kim, so the daughter, my my friend Eugen's sister, she spends a lot of time in North Korea, and she says there's a whole different story to tell. We only seeing one side. We as brainwashed as North Korea, mm-hmm. and she's her mission is to tell another story, that there is there is a side we're not seeing. Everybody, they also as brainwashed that side. So, you know, I mean, she's trying to on both sides, mm. bring a different story. And I just got so excited listening to her, and I thought, yes, you know, there is another way. You know, you were talking about relationships. You don't know what goes on with both sides. And um, that's the answer. Not this is almost in. like a relationship that went awry. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, a really ugly, messy divorce, and now they don't talk to each other, and the kids just want them to be together. That's exactly it. And the kids are the answer. Yeah. That's where the I future. I don't know though that North. I, I don't want to draw this up as some kind of false equivalence either, because North Korea is a very autocratic, totalitarian regime where there are things like thought crime, and there is no choice in the matter for most people as to what they end up doing. They have to go into the military. They have to do the job the government gives them to do. We know that they're hungry. We know that they're stunted. They don't grow as no. tall as South Koreans because they don't get the right nutrition. And we know that this guy, Kim Jong-un, and his father and his grandfather all lived these incredibly luxuriant lives. Yeah. And that they make these people work for them. They basically have a family crime state. And that, to me, doesn't in any way compare with the the, the life of the average South Korean. It doesn't. But, no, it doesn't compare. But the the strength, I'm just holding out for the strength of the human spirit, which... Mm. And, and the young people, you know, the older generation that really worshipped King Jong, King, what's Kim, the first Kim name? Il-sung. King Kim Il-sung. Yeah, so when that generation goes, I think there's a chance. They, they're indoctrinating the kids now, even now. And you know if you put those ideas into a child's head while it's still soft, they'll stick. And you know that there's always those that rise above. Well, I hope so. I hope you're right. And that's what Varna, that's, she's, that's the story she's telling. It sounds amazing. Um, when you, when you left, did you want to visit North Korea? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You, you can only, you can, there is tourism yeah. to North Korea, but it's very, very controlled. You can only go with a guide. You can never like get out of the bus and walk in the street and talk to the people. Yeah. You can only talk to ones that they let you, have you a talk minder. to. You have a mind at a whole time. Yeah. And so, you know, you can see that on YouTube. Why? I, yeah. Like, well, what diff- I don't know what else I would see there. I saw the most incredible video of a ski resort. Did you send it to me, Ben? A in ski Korea, resort yeah. in North Korea. Yeah. yeah, it looks amazing. Apparently just this be- – I mean, it looks beautiful, so I don't think apparently is the, is the word. But it's beautiful. They've got this resort hotel. They, uh, you have the slopes to yourself because there's no one else there. <laughs> And they just cater to your every whim if you're a paying tourist. And it's this undiscovered gem in North Korea. I wonder how many other things there are about that country we don't know. Well, that's the thing. There is so much we don't know. It really has been closed off from the rest of us for 50 years now. Yeah. 60 years. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for coming to share your story with us. It's always good to talk about these things. I'm fascinated by North Korea.
So there we go. Which Korea is best Korea? This is cliffcentral.com.